0: Okay, guys, welcome back to Aldi Dam, the Mental Beaver Project podcast. Today, we're going to talk with Chris Johnson. But first, I want to describe where we are. We're in a great setting. I'm loving it out here because it's not that hot, uh, especially compared to like the 90, 100 degree weeks we've had here in the Metal Valley. We're out here in the park in the city next to our office, where Mental Beaver Project and MSurf, the Mental Salmon Recovery Foundation share an office in the community center and it's a great day to be out here in the sun things are good um and no smoke exactly we don't have smoke either and we have for weeks um but it's cleared up really nice uh yeah my name is josiah shaver i'm your host again and you know a quick introduction to chris he's the president of the Mental samuel recovery foundation Surf which is kind of associated with the Mattel Beaver Project and I'll let him describe that more. But first question for you, Chris, is like, where are you from? you grow up in this area or you come from somewhere else?
1: Uh, I'm an escapee from the Seattle area. I grew up in North Seattle. Uh, my mother's family homesteaded in this county, in this area, um, came into the valley in 1903. And so her family's always viewed this as home um, since homesteading in from Missouri. Uh, my father was born in England and came over after World War II, so uh, I'm a bit of a settler and an immigrant.
0: Nice. At what point did you come over to the Met House?
1: I've been working
2: in the Met House since 1993 and uh, moved over to the Met House eight years ago. Okay. Commuted for the first 20 years of my career. Wow,
0: yeah. Um, can you talk about your educational background?
1: Um, yeah, my education's from University of Washington, I have a self-defined degree in environmental policy and law, uh, back from when they used to have a separate environmental institute. Huh,
0: you know, what does self-defined degree mean, can you, can you explain that for <laughs> me and everyone else There does? Well, hopefully? you know,
1: you have to go back a few decades. Um, there was not an environmental studies program or an environmental studies degree. You were either an engineering student who had a, an interest in the environment, or you were a policy person or a biologist. I was really interested in environmental law and water law, and that led to policy. And there was no degree that matched, so I made up my own. And I, have a bio, I have a BS in policy, which is just appropriate the time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Funny, because I'm studying, now they do have degrees like that, which is great. Um, I'm at Oregon State, studying water resources, policy management. Um, not, and
1: too, not too distinctly different.
0: No, I guess not. That's really cool. Um, well, let me ask you this. How did you, what's the story of how you got involved in this work with the Mental Science Recovery Foundation?
1: It's, it's an, sort of an unexpected turn. In 1998, Um, NOAA Fisheries enforced Endangered Species Act regulations on the irrigators in this valley, the Meha Valley, and they closed three ditches on the
2: presumption that the ditches were resulting in take of an endangered species. It was a really unique opportunity for me.
1: I had Furthered my law and policy degree with a land planning background and looked at this as an opportunity for the community um, to shift its economy from a waning timber economy and resource economy to a restoration economy. And once again, sort of like self defined major, there wasn't someone hiring an environmental person who wanted to help the community do this. So over the course of about a year of being involved in negotiations on the lawsuit um, from the Fisheries, we developed a nonprofit, and we wanted to find a way to bring money into the community for the community to chart its future. And so it was—it was really a community building as opposed to a strict biological project. And, but that was the underpinning of Salmon recovery: was to be able to help irrigators make good decisions, and towns make good decisions, and people make good decisions. Rather than just be told what to do. Okay. Wow. So, an odd beginning for a group that now does salmon recovery and beaver uh, restoration work.
0: Yeah. I imagine that was a controversial, to say the least, and difficult process. How? How did you? How did you work with? I assume as ranchers here. Yep. And, and stuff like that. How did that work?
1: You know, it's funny uh, that it was a charged topic. Um, and I was recently enough out of school that I still had the belief in, in everything I've
2: been taught. And with that, you tend to uh, lose some of the older ranch Rancher community audience. There's not a lot of, I guess, it was suffering
1: of fools um, when you work in a rural community. Um, it's fortunate I had the homesteader background in the family, and I had had enough of the stories that I was able to engage with some of the people who had homesteaded in that house, and with the descendants of those folks, and talk about you know, joint history, joint language, and develop a language. And that allowed me to be able to move past the, page 63 says, this is the solution to your problem, to, oh, this is how you rent your property, and this is what you're not able to do, and explore with them how to develop a common language. And, uh, I, I have joked for years that I'm nothing more than a glorified translator, and I translate between the federal government's needs under endangered species and the community's needs towards making a living and, and enjoying where they are. Yeah, that's so. awesome and very needed. It's it, you know it's a fun opportunity. Um, I think that just like yourself, if you can communicate and you can capture an audience so on a functional like really practical level
0: for the ranchers with the irrigation systems and that intersecting the fish
1: how did that look and what had to change, what yeah. did change? 20 years ago um, when we were working with the Chihuahua irrigators the way they were managing their irrigation systems was very close to deep water the, the Chihuahua River and so during the peak season for spawning for Spring Chinook, there was
2: more water going into the ditches than the staying in the river. There was less than 30 cubic feet a second.
1: to look really closely at what's not working. And I'll pick on one of the older ditches. Uh, They were diverting as much as 30 cubic feet a second to irrigate uh, along six and a half miles, nearly six and a half miles of ditch line. They only needed five cubic feet for the crops. The other 25 was conveyance. That's what it took to get the water to the last farmer because the systems were so primitive. Uh, and so inefficient. And so, what we had to do was to mobilize you know, the average farmer can't put $100,000 into a pivot line and controls and upgrading the ditch and making those changes. And neither can a small association of people that manage six and a half miles a ditch. So, that's what we had to do was to find a way to fund the behavior we wanted. That ditch now takes out less than five CFS. 20 years ago, it was taking out five times that. So, um, not because yeah they wanted to be water the river, but that's what it right. took. Um, and so, the co- the, my view was that the community wanted the fish to be healthy and the river to be healthy, and the farmers to be healthy. And so, we had to find a way to bring in the resources to pull that all together. Yeah. That's what MSERF did. Okay.
2: Did that come in the, from the funding? Did it come in the form of the government funds? Uh, right? uh, originally, it started. Um, as an alternative to a lawsuit.
1: Most of the ditches that were shut down decided to sue the federal government um, for a variety of standing issues as to being the wrong group to do this. We decided that it was better to uh, change behavior than to feed lawyers. and So we went to private foundations, we went to members of the legislature, and we went to the Farm Bureau and we went to very unusual uh, folks and said, you need to help us show that given the right tools, farmers can fix this problem. Mm. And so it started legislatively, privately, elected, and then we, we got smarter. We recognized that Chris Johnson really didn't mean much to someone who was elected or to another environmental group. It was just this guy who had this idea. And that was really the the genesis of the nonprofit. And when we formed the nonprofit and we developed the board and the mission statement, the people took us seriously.
2: Hmm.
1: We were the same people. We had the same mission and the same projects, uh, but doors were open. And so suddenly, I ran a nonprofit. Hmm. Wow! How many points did you start with? One. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and you know, money is is a benefit and a curse. And so one employee can make a lot of change, but as soon as you cross the threshold, someone's got to count the beans. And so the second employee was the person to keep the first employee out of jail. So (laughs) we had a bookkeeper that came on second to make sure that I was spending that money and counting
2: those beans the right way. And I wasn't getting free food and free clothes. Oh, that's fantastic.
0: Nice. and
1: once we passed that then i could hire my first biologist and then we started really changing policy and that became a lot more fun wow so that, that's when it became really really uh, enjoyable and we started really taking on the fish projects
0: hmm. and what year did it start
1: uh, we started in uh, 98 and we got our nonprofit approved in 2001. okay wow could have yeah. probably done it faster if i knew what i was doing. I've heard it's a long process of getting a nonprofit recognized, but I'm not sure. I think it's harder now than it was then. Yeah. Um, it's really fairly straightforward. It's just, there's some legal hoops to jump through, yeah.
2: um,
1: and they're really good because those are our touchstones we go back to. What are our bylaws? What are our mission statements? They aren't just what got us our nonprofit. Yeah. They're what make an icicle foundation and entity think about funding us. They're what make um, a national fish and wildlife foundation take us seriously those those founding documents are who you are Mm -hmm. so a lot of thought went into that a lot of really talented people helped me craft those anyway
0: how has emsurf changed in the two decades plus that it's been
1: around? radically Um, I intended this to be a five-year organization we were going to fix the world and go on to the next project and we do something different we're still here, so that's a radical departure. <laughs> that consistency is a change in perspective. Um, that being said, uh, we've merged with the Manhattan Beaver Project to adopt that
2: program and expand on the, the link between species. You can't fix salmon without fixing species without fixing habitats. We now
1: have multiple biologists working for us, uh, working with us, we have multiple government contracts that span more than a decade. Um, and so, we're at the risk of becoming an institution, uh, as opposed to a ragtag. Hmm.
0: Okay, um, can you tell the story of how, from your perspective, how the Meta Beaver Project started
1: and little answer in that? Well, we had no role, which is kind of a great role. We were a witness. Uh, The Medhub Beaver project was an outgrowth of a program at the U.S. Forest Service and a program at the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife. Two employees who saw this opportunity and really sort of developed in the later part of their career the, the ability to specialize and promote this idea. And the timing of that really coalesced with a series of droughts and fire regime changes to the normal weather pattern of the Madhouse. And so the story of water storage and resiliency, it was just really good timing with drought and fire and how this, this little critter could make a difference on it. And so instead of just being like a, a whim up to employees, it grew into uh, a project that became regionally uh, interesting to a group of people. Um, they went through the same thing MSURF did, where they got to a size where the budget of those two individuals and in those two agencies couldn't do what was
2: needed. And they needed to grow, or they needed to go away. They
1: partnered with the Meadow Conservancy, one of the leading land trusts in this part of the world, and worked on how stewarding this species could change the easements and the properties that the Meadow Conservancy was working to preserve. They ran into some interesting growth pains that nonprofits do, of missions not being well aligned, and the Conservancy is not a restoration organization, they're a preservation organization and making active changes in range management which is what beavers do started creating some conflicts with some of the the mission folks uh, on the board or people who had easements who also ran cattle and felt that there were conflicts and so the conservancy didn't end up being a, a well aligned partner for the beaver project and that's when the Conservancy and Matt House Salmon sat down and said, well, how about you? Would you be a good partner? And it transferred over to us over a series of, of months and years and discussions. Huh. And then, um, as happens, when I go a different direction as a new executive director or president at MSurf, the personality of the group will change. And so when the Beaver Project came under the umbrella of a salmon group, the personality of the Beaver Project changed. and Instead of just being a resilience, or a fire, or a relocation, we started looking at coexistence. And that was a real happy, happy
2: coincidence, or a happy uh, event of just the two personalities merging.
1: Hmm. And so the Meha Beaver Project and MSurf are different for the relationship. So, and the Meha Beaver project is very different than they were when we started with Forest Service or under the Conservancy. And if they go out on their own, if you go out on your own, it'll be a different project again. it's just like the way these restoration projects change over decades. Okay, wow. Is that the answer you expected?
0: No, honestly, um, but it's, you know, I'm, just, I'm the intern. I'm just the intern, guys. <laughs> um, but that's great. Uh, can you talk about what, you know, like on a day-to-day level, what Medhouse Salmon Recovery Foundation and Metal Beaver Project do together um, in terms of sharing resources, sharing expertise and personnel, same projects, um, what, what does that look like?
1: I think, you know, if, it, probably the most tangible thing that Medhouse Beaver gets from Medhouse Salmon is free room and board. Um, we rent the facility um, for both programs. And we pay for it through our programs and through our efforts and through fundraising. And so the Beaver Project was at a moment where they, they really were idea rich and bank account poor when they joined us. And like any nonprofit or group, part of a nonprofit, you live and die by your ability to get your ideas funded. Mm-hmm. And the, the gift we were able to do was develop your mission, develop your your, your elevator speech. Find people who are interested in it and don't worry about the rent.
2: And so that's how the relationship started. Don't worry about the rent, just keep doing good things. And That's what Alexa, the new director at the Beaver Project,
1: brought to it It was enough of a difference in vision that she brought in different funding, both through organizations and through grants, and now the the M-Surf is now benefiting because the Beaver Project has pulled together the science, uh, the faces in the water to say, behind these beaver dams, we have these species of fish, we have the endangered fish, excuse me, the endangered fish, and we have the native fish. And contrary to the mythology, that beaver dams are are a blockage on the system, and they limit the recovery of the fish well they're trapping nutrients and they're holding water and these fish are doing really well and so that's something that came back to us as a, a benefit of the project um, so in an example today we spent 10 hours over the last two days with a group of scientists looking at one of our restoration projects that we call sugar uh, it's a Reach of the Mehta River that's been frozen in time since 1972, when the Corps built a levee to protect a highway. And they stopped channel migration, and they stopped lateral migration, and they stopped process except for incision. So they lost our side channels, we lost all the nurseries for Santa over the last 50 years. Mm, yeah. The Beaver Project has two years plus working in the same reach, looking at how beavers are helping reverse some of that loss of side channel habitat. Now that we've developed in
2: 10 hours preferred alternatives on how to move the project forward, the beaver crew, the beaver project, will help inform which restoration actions work
1: for both species. And that is, that's unique. I don't know any other area where a beaver Relocation group is now informing a salmon restoration project. That, that's really cool. Yeah, that is cool. Wow.
0: Yeah, and we're happy to be partners for sure. Um, can you talk about your role in MSRF and what that looks like for you on a day to day level?
1: <laughs> Long. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll have to digress that when I developed a degree, I told my advisor I wanted a degree that would have me in the field seven hours a day and in the office one hour a day, just documenting my time. I wanted to be a field guy. And now if I'm lucky, I get an hour a day in the field or sometimes an hour a week in the field. Running a nonprofit, you know, we've got, what, 10, 11, 12 people that are invested in making this project succeed these two projects succeed and they're all part of the team and my job is to make sure that payday I've got a checkbook that can feed them and so a lot of my time is looking five years or seven years or ten years in the future of how does this project lead to this project lead to this project and how do I assure funding so that we have the continuity Um, with environmental work especially with non-profit environmental work you don't get a year off and then you pick up where you left off. If you
2: lose your continuity, you're done. At least that's my view. And so most of my time has turned into communicating what we do well enough
1: that people want to fund us to keep doing what we do, hmm. and yeah. then challenging our people to push our science ahead of what they could just pick up in the bookcase.
0: Hmm. Okay. Wow. So I mentioned that's a lot of coordination, grant writing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. Luckily, I've developed some really good backups so that they make up for my inability to type coherently. Uh, I have really, really talented folks that help with grants, help me with budgeting. Uh, I still do hands-on grant writing. Uh, most of it is coordination. I'll spend time like today. We have four resource agencies that we brought together. Our group brought them out here showed them an environment they hadn't seen, allowed them to put their 20 years of career experience to test to say, well, this is what I do. And we have that, that moment. And This is the first non-Zoom meeting in a year and a half where we actually sat in the grass, the same place you and I are, and we had that aha moment and the side conversations that allowed us to learn from 80 years of combined experience that wasn't mine. Uh, on a site that I selected 11 years ago as a priority. Uh, and that's just cool. I mean, 11 years is a long time. We've probably got another nine years of uh, restoration to go. So each of these cycles, you know, they're two decades long to unfreeze or turn the trajectory. Um, that's part of the job that keeps it fun. Uh, but the coordination is not something that I,
2: I listed as, as a goal. in a field where I'm in charge of getting 15 people in the same direction, that's my first.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I do now.
0: Right on. What's down the road, you said maybe nine years uh, at this site, Sugar Sugar Levy, yep. um, what is the end? Of it? What do you think that's going to look like,
1: or do we know that? Process is a funny thing. We don't get to say it starts here and it ends 3.4 meters away. What we know is that 52 years of a river staying in one alignment is not natural. Mm. And so the goal of the project is to break that pattern. Um, how do you do that in a semi-urban, it's hard to call TWISP urban, how do you do that in a populated area where people have houses and businesses and histories and roads um, without threatening them? I mean, they built levees for a reason. People don't like unpredictability as a general rule, especially the Department of Transportation. They hate unpredictability. So, we want to get a river moving next to features that are hard and fixed constraints. And so, our challenge over the next nine years is to identify where that river could move, where it can't move, and how we create as much uplift for as many species as we can by getting the river moving. We know that the the no action alternative means the river is going to incise further and we're going to lose more habitat niches and we're going to lose more species uh, resilience to climate change so we have to get it moving within the boundaries mm. and so to me a successful project in nine years is that, is that i can look at three series of aerial photos
2: and rivers in a different place in each one mm. that to me is success. Can you describe some of the other projects that the San
0: Foundation has going on at the moment?
1: Well, I'm proud to say that all of those irrigators that I first met are still irrigating, and we have radically changed the world of fish see when they swim up that river. Huh. So we've restored 10 miles, or helped restore. I don't want to over boast my group. We've helped remove the barriers to the lower eight miles of that river, and we've kept people irrigating and kept their ways of life. Available to them, so that's a to me that's a success story where we showed that we can get both, yeah. and we can do it without massive sacrifice. Yeah. Some of the you know the fun projects we we took out a levee on the Twist River that locked up 60 acres of side channel habitat, and now we have new streams and channels. That's the uh, Twist Floodplain Project. Met Beaver is a partner on. Um, we did that over about an eight-year period a really vibrant uh, evolving habitat with really really high levels of spawning of the endangered chinook that we were after so we hit the target species and we took out the barrier hmm. it sounds easy to remove a couple thousand feet of levee and put water on it but we have a town of twist below us and a lot of landowners that were interested at public meetings hmm. and yeah. that worked out really well yeah that's a fun project nice
0: you know you don't know this, but the last person I interviewed on the podcast was Bill White, who huh. is a rancher um, lives just a few miles away, owns a lot of property
2: um, we were talking about about beavers and fish and irrigation he He knows that you know that the fish some have have some challenges with the
0: irrigation systems, and he knows a lot about what beavers do actually. But I'm kind of just curious if you ever worked with, with Bill White.
1: I know Bill. Um, we have talked a number of times. I haven't done any projects directly with him or anything up on his property. But he's a neighbor of one of our project sites. And I'll, I'll say Bill was in the skeptic camp when we started on that project. Um, I haven't asked him in the last few months whether he's still a skeptic. but. He and his wife have both been very cordial and we're actually talking on a project right now which is part of the sugar reach where we may have some the overlapping interests hmm. but, but bill represents that part of the community that as a as a young man your age i had to learn how to talk to yeah. so I'm, I'm i'm really intrigued that, that you're already talking to him that's yeah. great it's it's great um yeah i mean maybe you can listen to it yeah i'll have to look, look at your uh, podcast
0: yes absolutely you know um with the role that you have in the community, coordination, getting people together, a lot of conflict management, honestly, at times, what are some lessons that you've learned from these years of experience
1: trying to get people together, herd cats, and get things done? <laughs> Listen. Listen first, speak second. Mm. Uh, leave a note on your, on your dashboard in case you're worried about never making it back to your truck whose truck it was. Um, honestly, most of the mythology about conflict in the West are a little overwrought. I've been doing this almost three decades now since I I started working in the environmental field. I think I've had two altercations where I
2: actually felt physically threatened. Um, So that's not bad for for three decades. Uh, Most of the time, if someone is angry, it's because they're
1: threatened or they feel threatened. If they're angry at you, you may be the reason they feel threatened and you need to look at the way you're approaching them. It's usually your issue, not theirs. It's the way that I've approached it. So if I walk into a room and someone's mad, I just sort of take ownership of it and say, okay, not sure when, not sure what, but let's talk about what I just did that got us going the wrong direction and how we change that. I've had doors shut and been told that there is no way to fix it. More often than not, it's like yesterday, I talked to a landowner who hadn't responded to three mailings, and I happened to see her in her yard, so I pulled over and introduced myself. She said, I didn't respond on purpose. I didn't want to talk. An Hour and a half later, I left with a bag of tomatoes that she had picked that morning. There's a common ground that you can find with folks. You just have to listen. Wow, I love that. So It worked out. I I have left empty-handed before. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yesterday was a good day, and they were good tomatoes. So. Nice. That's fantastic.
0: Um, you know, being so, yeah. Another question for you in your role. Like, what have you learned about time management and organization when you have so many different things going on, managing
1: a bunch of different people? <laughs> There's no such thing as multitasking. Nobody does it well. I do it probably poorer than many. Um, time management is a really hard thing until you just sort of like look at it and say, I can get done what I can get done. And then I have to recognize I need more help.
2: And if you're really feeling like you can't get it done, you don't have the right help or you don't have enough help. Um, I've joked for years that I'm just the toolbox. You folks are the
1: tools, and I mean that in a positive way. Um, And you build a a really talented group of people around you and you succeed. So, Mm My time management problems occur when I haven't realized I need more help. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, I mostly ask that question selfishly because I'm trying to coordinate things. And honestly, I see myself maybe in similar roles to you in some points in my career in the future, trying to manage so many different things. And, you know, going into my last year of a master's program busy as well and hopefully some of our listeners can can relate Uh,
1: absolutely I think that the the most challenging period of my life was when I was finishing up my degree and my my son was born in my senior year and I was finishing my law uh, finals and that was sort of the the aha moment in in time management that you simply can't (laughs) Uh, you simply can't you just do what you can do yeah
0: Yep, that's that's what I'm realizing. With like, you know, I'm looking at graduate teaching positions that require sixteen hours a week, um, yep. and then you're also required to be a full time student,
1: and uh, yeah, I yeah. can only do
0: so much. So. How do you how do you do this?
1: How do yeah. you balance that? Yeah, you need friends. Yeah, <laughs> definitely.
0: Um, as we wrap up here, what is the future of dentistry? What's going to happen in the next five to ten years?
1: Well, I'm approaching 60.
2: Um, if you had asked me when I started this organization, if I was going to be sitting as the executive director for 21 years, I would have probably said no. I think in the next five years,
1: it would be someone else you'd be interviewing. That uh, I will uh, revert back to just being on the board and trying to help mentor and help support and younger, newer, stronger ideas will come in to help guide the organization and take it in a different path. Um, What I would hope the organization does is still be a vital part of the community and still meet a need that someone else isn't meeting. Um, Whether that makes it more of an agricultural focus or a housing focus or a water management focus, um, they're all connected. And, you know, especially in a valley, valley like this one where we have so many constraints on a very limited resource, um, the nonprofits, this is a nonprofit rich community, but it's, it's a rich community because the nonprofits are meeting those needs and anticipating those questions. And I think that MSURF has a role in that moving forward. Um, the pessimist in me or the realist in me looks at climate change looks at fire regime, looks at a change from a snow-driven system to a water-driven system, we're going to need more help, not mm-hmm. less. So my vision of a five-year nonprofit was wrong. And um, the Beaver Project is going to have an active role in helping to rebalance fire regime and water regime. And uh, surf in one incarnation or another hopefully will have a role in keeping vibrant rivers. Yeah. Sounds good to me.
2: Um, It may be you, and I may be interviewing. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, we'll see. Um, How can people learn more about memsurf and what they do? You can look at our uh,
1: website, medhoussalmon.org, or you can go to the MedHealth Beaver Project's website. We're we're co-linked. You can learn a lot more there. Um, We're part of a regional group called the Upper Columbia Salmon Recovery Board. Process and you go to UCSRB. Um, org, and you'll find out about what all of the groups are doing in salmon recovery, not just these two. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for your time.
0: I know you're a busy guy and you got a lot going on. Actually, so really it's hard to get me to sit down, but it's been fun. Thank you. <laughs> it has been fun. Um, thank you, guys, for tuning in to the Match River Project podcast. I'll be damned. Uh, if you are interested in supporting the podcast, we're going to need that here, um, so feel free to find out how to donate on our website. If you have feedback for us as well, we, we would love to hear that, or if you have a recommendation on who to interview, um, you can call our hotline, which is also the Beaver Conflict Hotline, if you have a problem with that number is 509 289 277 Uh, you can also email us at metalviewproject at metalsalmon.org or check out our website Uh, leave us a review Um, thanks for tuning in I am your host, Josiah and we'll catch you next time